love parenting. You're either in it or you've done it. Raise your hands. How many of you? Let me ask you a couple of honest questions. Is it harder than you thought it would be? How many of you would say yes? How many of you had so much fun doing it that if you had the opportunity to do it over again, you would volunteer to do it? Not near as many hands. That's amazing to me. One of the things I love to do is trap shoot. I had the opportunity to go out every so often, and I went out over the last few weeks, and one of the guys from the church had been bringing his boys. And I love these boys. I love all of the kids, but I love these two boys. And a couple of weeks after we started, a few weeks ago, he called me up and he said, hey, I've got to be out of town on Tuesday night. Would you take my boys? I said, in a heartbeat, man. So I took him and we had a blast. I came home and I looked at my wife as sincere as I knew how and said, I want a boy. (laughs) She looked at me as serious as she knew how and said, that ship sailed, pal. (laughs) I said, I'll make a deal. Let's start with a 12-year-old. Let's just go out and find a 12-year-old. We'll start from here and then go on. We pass up all the diapers and all those other stages. But start with a 12 and go on. She said, you've lost your mind. Now, I said that in the first service, and I had a number of people volunteered to give me their 12-year-olds. I find that intriguing. Somehow, we want to give them away at junior high and get them right about the time they get a job. Is that true? When you're raising children. You know and I know, you have sermon notes this morning, I'm going to talk about so much scripture over the next couple of weeks that I wanted to make sure you knew where it was coming from. But you and I both know that some of the greatest joys of our lives and some of the deepest sorrow of our lives comes within the context of parenting, right? How many of you remember when you held that first baby in your hands? Amazing moment, isn't it? My, both of my girls were born with C-section, obviously well over 30 years ago, and I remember that moment of what it was like. I remember taking all the Lamaze classes and then finding out that I couldn't be there at that time, and I had to go stand and sit in the father's waiting room, and then all of a sudden finding out that I couldn't hold that little one in that particular context for seven days. And it didn't even make sense to me. Now, if you have a C-section, you're lucky to stay in for two when you want to stay in for seven days. But I couldn't hold her for seven days, and I couldn't wait for that moment when we were leaving the hospital and I could finally hold that little girl. And every dad in the room, every mom in the room remembers what it was like when that doctor placed that little one in your hands, and you were blown away by the innocence and the joy and the thrill that came with that. And then there's those first steps Remember, you kind of encouraged it. You walked in, you had the hands up, and you just waited for the next one, and you just continued to encourage them. On and on it goes. I had a story that I read this morning in the first service of a mom who worked for an organization that delivered lunches to elderly shut-ins. She said, I used to take my four-year-old daughter to the afternoon rounds. The various appliances of old age, particularly the canes and the walkers and the wheelchairs, intrigued her. One day I saw her staring at a pair of false teeth soaking in a glass. I braced myself for what I thought maybe she would say when she simply turned to me and whispered, the tooth fairy is never going to believe this. (laughs) I find it fascinating that we can't wait for them to walk and talk and then we spend the next 15 years saying, sit down and shut up. I don't get that all along the way. And then there's the first day of school. 
I wish I had a picture this morning. I'm going to try to get it for next Sunday somehow. But I wish I had a picture this morning of what it was like when my mom sent my brother and I to the first day of school. We had matching outfits. What parent does that? (laughs) The two boys that aren't twins. Matching outfits, matching lunchboxes, and matching thermoses. The lunchboxes were barns. The thermoses were silos. Okay, now picture this. Two little boys coming off the farm with matching outfits who weren't the twins with a silo as a thermos and a barn lunchbox. She might as well put a sign on saying, beat them up all day long. <laughs> I don't know how we ever survived those first few months. I mean, I'm telling you. <laughs> if I had done that to my kids, I would have put the sign, go ahead, beat them up. <laughs> oh. The first day of school, a first grader handed his teacher a note from his mom that said, the opinions expressed by this child are not necessarily those of the parents. (laughs) And then, of course, family vacations, right? How many of you make sure that every single child went on family vacation, whether you wanted to or not, and whether they wanted to or not? You remember those days? Forcing them in the car, all the stuff that was necessary. My kids loved family vacations. I was so calm so relaxed, didn't matter when we went, didn't matter how much stuff they took, and that is such a lie. (laughs) To this day, they're in their 30s. To this day, they get haunted every once in a while by family memories on family vacations as to how uptight their rather calm father got at those moments. And I'm still amazed by the fact that the best memories of their lives on family vacations was in a 12 by 12 shack on stilts with an outhouse out back in Emporium, Pennsylvania. Had I known that at the time, I would have saved all the money we spent in Disney World and taken them there every year. Then comes graduation. For some of you, you never thought that day would come. And for others, you were overwhelmed when that day came. All the struggles, all the tests, all the homework, all the things that you did, all the things you hoped they would remember, just moving toward that day, whether it was graduation from high school or graduation from college, you just couldn't wait for that particular moment. You were so proud, so amazed, but it seemed like it went so fast, and then all of a sudden, you're walking them down the aisle. I remember Ken Davis, the comedian, saying, it went so fast. I felt like I just held that little girl in my hands and all of a sudden somewhere along the way I blinked and I was walking her down the aisle and handing her to the hand of some gorilla. And I didn't want to do it. I still remember that moment over 10 years ago walking Aaron down the aisle. And I thought I was emotionally prepared until you're there in that moment. And I had a wedding this weekend. It was a great experience. And when she walked down the aisle on Friday night in preparation for Saturday, I said, it's so short, isn't it? She said, I know. I want to walk down the aisle again. It goes so fast. I remember walking Aaron down the aisle and we got to that moment when typically, and I'm the dad now, not the pastor, and the pastor says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And I said, I have a speech. (laughs) And Aaron's going, oh, sweet Jesus, no. But I remember that moment when God entrusted both of them into our care and Connie, at the very outset of that very first day, began to pray for their mate. And so at that birth moment and that holding of that first child moment, she prayed then for their mate, wherever they were, whenever they would be born, that God would somehow protect them both and bring them together for that time. And so all I simply said was, I remember what it was like praying for this day. And my wife has been praying for it for a long time. 
And we prayed at that moment for that little boy that God would entrust into their care and I would be able to hand this hand over. And now I'm thrilled and honored to be able to take this hand and to the answer of God's prayer. That was cool, right? You would have cried. Because I know I did. <laughs> now they're obviously then the best part of being a parent. Grandparenting, right? Isn't it awesome? Oh. I love grandparenting. I don't know how these pictures got here. Jason, where did you find these? I can't believe someone sent you these pictures. Now, that's my oldest daughter's second child, and believe me, after being with Grandpa for the first few years, he needs therapy and counseling every once in a while, so he shows up into my office for counseling. I hoped you would say that. Oh, you're getting good. Wait a minute. And then one more. Thank you. I don't know. I don't know how Jason got them, but interestingly enough, they all happen to be our grandchildren. <laughs> I bet you can't wait for it when you preach, right? You get to show your kids up there. You also know there's the other side. The deep, deep valleys you go through as a parent. Neither one of my girls are able to have children on their own, and so all of them are adopted. And I remember that moment when finally after three or four rejections of hoping to be chosen, they finally got chosen, and then that baby was born. And Aaron called us with such thrill and excitement only to less than 24 hours saying he's in NICU, been transferred over to Children's Hospital, and he's not going to live. Now, you talk about going from a high to a low and knowing that for the next number of years I'm going to be doing sermons on parenting on this very issue where you have so many emotions that go into those moments of time. One of the most difficult things that I do as a pastor in all of these years of ministry is going to NICU, a neonatal intensive care unit in Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, I mean, it's one thing to go to a local hospital. When you go to a children's hospital and you go room after room after room after room after room of little boys and little girls that are so wired up, you don't know how they're able to move around. And the parents are overwhelmed with emotion. They couldn't wait for that little one to be born. Now, all of a sudden, they go through these moments. And the highs and lows of parenting in such a short amount of time are overwhelming. Then that first call from the police department. Some of you may have remembered what it was like of being able to be on the other end of the phone and not knowing for sure what they're going to say and what it's going to be like to hear that, that my child was in their very first accident. Or they call you, and at least it's them calling you to say I've had an accident, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know what they're like. You don't know what's going to happen or a police officer that shows up at your door, and you don't even want to deal with the emotions that go with that. But you know, as well as I do, that there are some incredible highs and some overwhelming lows for families. I have a lot of friends who are police officers. And two of the most difficult things they do are domestic disputes because they never know what they're going to get into. Some of them have said, I'd rather go to a bank robbery than a domestic dispute because I don't know who's shooting at who then and what's going to happen to me. Or going to an accident where there's a child. 
was a firefighter for years. Jonathan is as well, and a number of you have been. And, and, and you know what it's like when you get that call. You know what it's like as a police officer to get that call, and, and you're going to that accident. You know there's children involved. And it's overwhelming, especially, obviously, when you have children of your own. And you go back and you hug your kids and you hold them so tight, but you know those parents who want to do that can't and aren't sure what happened and why. And then the worst thing for any parent to ever have to experience is to bury their child. I've done it on way too many occasions through all my years of ministry. But every mom that I've ever had the opportunity to walk through that valley with has said to me, it is so unnatural. It's not even makes sense that as a parent, I have to bury my child. It's supposed to be the other way around. So with all the highs, for a lot of folks, we've had a lot of lows. And more joy and more heartache comes within the context of parenting than almost any other area of your life, right? And you know that. There are some people that you walk into situations every once in a while and you wonder, how on earth did anybody ever even entrust them with children? And others who so desperately want to be pregnant and can't. And you wrestle through that. I've wrestled through that as a pastor. When I've walked through with families in certain locations, and I won't even say the where, but you look at how these children are abused, and you look at the circumstances, and you see parents yelling and screaming at these kids, and, and you wonder, how on earth? Did you have these? And I've got two girls that I love and adore who want to get pregnant and can. I prayed over them as I did Heather. And you, you just want that moment to be theirs. And it isn't. And you see some who discard their kids and abuse their kids. And you wonder, where is the justice in all of that? So when it comes to a message on parenting, there are a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings, Right? We're going to continue our study in Colossians 3 this morning, and Paul is moving off of the wife-husband relationship to the parent-child relationship. He says these words in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents. Matter of fact, he goes on to say in everything. For this pleases the Lord. He's quoting one of the commandments that talks about children being obedient to their parents and that it may go well with you. One of the only of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it. And then he talks to fathers in verse 21. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Now, we're going to spend a couple of weeks on here. I didn't know that until 10 o'clock this morning in the first service, so I, I want to share that with you so you're not scared by all the things that are on that sermon notes that we'll ever get to the end of it. But I do want to say to you there's some wonderful things that I think God's Word has to say to us about parenting and what that looks like. I want to remind you of the context. When you read those verses, children obey your parents and everything, for it pleases God. Fathers, don't embitter your children, they'll become discouraged. You've got to remember it's in the context of Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 17. For the last number of weeks, we're saying God's word is brilliant in how it places things and where it places them. It seems like it's kind of out of skew, out of kilter, not sure why of all the things that he's been saying about this new life in Christ. He now talks about husband-wife relationship and parent-child relationship until you realize what he's saying. Look, now that you're a follower of Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you're a believer in Jesus. You want to set your heart and things above where Christ is seated. I want you to set your mind on things above. I want you to put to death some of the things that you used to do. I don't want you to do what you did before. You've got to rid yourself, he said in verse 8, of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Don't lie to one another. 
You, you don't do that anymore. You're now God's chosen people. And as you are God's chosen people, I want you to clothe yourself or put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, God's forgiven you, so forgive other people. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. When you think about it, that's just brilliant on God's part because he knows that one of the most difficult places to demonstrate that is in the home. When you're in an intense debate with your children over what it is you want them to do or what they're doing that has displeased you or doesn't follow rules or it's just get pretty tense when they're a teenager and you're battling with one another, you know as I know that some of the things you used to say and some of the ways you used to talk and some of the things that are running through your mind ought not to be shared right at that moment, right? And so you got to consciously realize, no, that's what I used to do. That's how I used to react. But now I'm putting away anger and malice. I'm a follower of Christ, and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to have filthy talk come out of my mouth. I don't want to have rage displayed in front of this child. I want to put on, now that I'm a follower of Christ, compassion and tenderness and grace. I want to forgive. I want to give them opportunity to grow. And the best place to demonstrate that, the best place to flesh that out is in the home especially between parents and children, because you know and I know that that's one of the most likely places for it to be challenged, right? Once you've given your life to Christ, your whole life and nature begins to change. You're transformed from what you were to what you're becoming. God's ultimate goal for us is to be transformed into the image of his son, referring to characteristics and not physical form. Now, Paul's saying, look, I'm not there yet. I'm not even there yet. But I'm telling you, I'm not what I used to be. I am moving in this direction. I'm going as hard as I can to reach the goal for the prize of the high calling of God. I haven't completed it. I'm not even where I want to be. I'm wrestling back and forth every once in a while. The things I don't want to do, I do. And things I really want to do, I don't. But believe me, I am not going back there. I'm going here. And so the whole process of transformation on that sign out there and then your sermon notes or in your bulletin this morning is to become like Christ, knowing that's a constant, continual process of not being what I was and not completed to what I need to be, but I'm moving in that direction. A lot of people's spiritual lives are up and down, but you don't want the continuum or the medium to be flat. You want it to be constantly moving in this direction. So maybe you have ups and downs and maybe you have highs and lows, but you're continually moving in a positive direction so that from one point to the next, you're seeing that growth develop. You're seeing the fact that you really are being transformed into the image of his son. I am not reacting to the circumstance like I used to. I'm reacting as God wants me to. As we continually give the Spirit of God control of our lives, junk begins to fall away. We intentionally, where he says, you put to death or get rid of lust and greed and anger and lying and filthy talk. And we start treating people with compassion, humility, gentleness. We give each other space to make mistakes. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We cover it all with love. And the best place to work on it, flesh it out, and demonstrate it is in the home, right? Here in church, you're all perfect. <laughs> Evidently not. But here in church, y'all look perfect. And no matter what goes on at home, I mean, you could have been arguing out the, uh, all the way here. The windows are rolled down because everybody's yelling so hard. You've been spatting each other all along the way. But you get here and everything is fine. Everyone's perfect. 
I've had kids tell me that. Man, you have no idea what it was like getting here today. Do you have any idea how honest your kids are? It's a, one of the most enjoyable things of being in ministry for so long. Your kids are so honest. But then all of a sudden we get here and everything looks fine. I ask you how you are. I ask kids, how, how's the kids? They're great. Love them. Thank you for the gift of God that he's given me in these children. I couldn't be more blessed than these kids. They obey me. They listen to me. They read the word of God every day. They could quote 27 verses just this morning. Right? I mean, we all say that and think that about our kids here. So it's really not a matter of how you appear or what your family looks like or how it comes off here. But how it comes off at home. That's the real test of how all this fleshes itself out. So when Paul gives us this challenge, he knows that it's an enormous challenge. And he knows we need the Spirit of God to help us through the process. And you know and I know, home has dramatically changed. I mean, when I grew up, Ricky Nelson and Wally Cleaver were our role models. Most of you don't even know who they are. Eddie Haskell was the closest thing to a bad guy. Now we've gone from my three sons and my two dads and even worse. You add to that mess Madonna and Miley Cyrus and Justin Beamer, and I've said before, if I hear those names again, I'm going to throw up, and then I keep hearing those names all the time. This huge onslaught of uh, videos and horror films that make Eddie Haskell look like a choir boy. And you wonder, are they ever going to make it through this process? I have it as a statement in your sermon notes, but I in my notes have it as a question. Did you ever feel like the moral compass of life seems to be pointing in all directions? Where we find ourselves in a 21st ocean century of life with no map, no rudder, and no hope of reaching the other side. Have you ever felt like that? It's out of control. The moral compass seems to be pointing in all directions, and we wonder, are we ever going to get to the other side? Are there any answers out there somewhere? Well, there are. It's the Word of God. You know how many kids or how many parents have come to me and said, look, they don't come with an instruction manual. If they came with an instruction manual, I'd know what to do. My garage door has an instruction manual. How does kids not come with one? You know what? They do. It's right here. It's all over the pages of Scripture. In your sermon notes, and I've got some misprints, unfortunately. It's in Matthew 7, not 27, where Jesus said, A wise man builds his house on a solid foundation. Jesus said, A house divided against itself will not stand. This morning and next Sunday, I want to spend some time talking to you about parenting and raising children. Things that I want my kids to know. You know, the Bible is full of great stories, right? Full of great advice. Some unbelievable things in here. It gives you some insight on how to make sure that you treat your kids well. How many of you have heard this phrase growing up? I know you don't say it, but you've heard this phrase growing up. Why aren't you more like your brother? Why aren't you more like your sister? You know, your sister studied all the time, and she got all A's. Why do you now have D's every time you come home? And we compare them to one another, and we have that favorite child. You know, there's some great stories in here about what happens when you do that. When you put one child over the other, and the impact of that on the other child, and what that looks like. How many of you know the Bible? I mean, know it really well. Four of you. (laughs) It's pretty easy to learn. It's wonderful to go through. Last Saturday, in the morning and the afternoon, we had a number of people that sat here, and they literally learned the concepts of the entire Old Testament in one day. The whole Old Testament in one day. If you were here last Saturday and did that, I want you to stand right where you're at. There you go. Come on, all over the audience. But over 200 of them in in both. Now, stay standing, because what I want you to do in front of all these people, 
I want you to demonstrate how easy it is to learn the Old Testament in one swoop. Three minutes and four seconds. You can do it. All right, now, watch the screen because I'm going to give you a cheat sheet so that you can follow along with that. But those of you in the audience, don't watch that. Watch them because it's fun to watch. Jace, go ahead. Wasn't that easy? I mean, basically, you learn the entire Old Testament in one day setting. Some wonderful stories. The desire of all of that was to whet your appetite, to want to get into it more, because there's some amazing things. He challenged us in the book of Proverbs. Tuesday is April 1st. And you could take April and just simply go through one proverb a day. The book of Proverbs has some great advice on parenting. Talks about some things to avoid. It has some great advice for Young people, some things to avoid, some things to make sure. Joshua's great declaration as a leader of his home saying, look, I want you to know as for me and my house, 
we're serving God. You guys want to go in another direction, take a vote, that's fine. But me and my house, we're serving God. There's some incredible things in the Word of God that he has to teach us. Some great advice in the Word of God in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. It's chapter 6. God says, love me with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In your sermon notes is this phrase that said one of the oldest biblical truths is this. It's a responsibility of parents to provide a dynamic spiritual heritage for their children. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, look, I just want to stay sane. I just want to get through it. I just want to survive. And now you're adding responsibility to, well, I didn't. God did. And God entrusted them into your care. So how do we do that? Well, Deuteronomy gives us some great answers. This passage in your sermon notes said, if I'm going to really give a solid spiritual foundation and make sure that I'm doing everything I can to raise them in a godly influence, then it has to start with me. It starts with me. I want to make sure that I have a relationship with my God that I want to pass along. So he said, right at the very beginning, love God with every fiber of your being. Jesus takes the entire Old Testament and sums it up in a phrase that said, love God, Mark, with all the phrases, all the emotions, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Starts with us. I've got to make sure that I'm spiritually grounded. You see, we teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. And that is a hugely powerful statement. We teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. Some have said the real test of parenthood is not what they are when they're with us, but what they become when they're gone. Now I know a lot of you say, look, I did absolutely everything I could in that context and they still went their own direction, and I get that. I've had a number of occasions where I've seen kids grow up in such a stringent, tight environment where they had no room to breathe and spiritual things were crammed down them. They went to every event and everything, and every time the doors were open, they were there, and they were so tight and restrictive in that when they got to a certain age, they ran from Christianity, and so I get that. But I'm talking about a balance, and in the context of being everything I need to be, I have the opportunity now to pass along to the next generation what I have found in God. Baby dedication, I, I said to Heather and Todd this morning, I, I'm going to say it for a moment, but I, I want them to remember that it's not about the baby. The baby has no idea, will never remember this magic moment here, but they always will. And it's really about their dedication. That's why I'm addressing it to them. It's an opportunity for them to say before God and my family and friends, before Almighty God, I will do absolutely everything I can to provide the kind of environment that they'll grow and mature. Same with the wedding. Every time I do a wedding, this couple is standing in front of me as they did yesterday, and they're basically making a covenant before God, before their family, and before their friends. We're going to do everything we can to lead a godly marriage and to live a godly marriage, especially when God entrusts us with children. And so you, in this context of standing up here in these moments, and I've got baby dedication for the next number of weeks, and it's an opportunity for us to really rejoice in the gift of God. But it's that parent, that child, or that parent, that couple saying, before Almighty God, we will do everything in our power to provide this child with the kind of home that they will see who God is. 
They will still have a choice to make, but they will understand. I recognize that God has entrusted me with this responsibility, and I'm going to take it seriously and do everything I can to put them in a place where they can grow and mature. If you and I are ever going to have a spiritual foundation for our children, if they're going to feel what we feel and see what we see and know what we know, we're going to have to, first of all, be the example. George Barna, in a book that my wife Connie and our children's pastor directed us to a number of years ago, was called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. He said the spiritual formation of our children is happening at a much earlier age. Campus Crusade years ago said that most decisions for Christ are made by 18. That's changed dramatically. Now he's saying most of them are made by age 9 and spiritual formation by age 13. Do you realize what a small window that is? I mean, in the grand scheme of parenting, for how many every years they're there in your home, do you realize what a small window that is? I've got parents that are taking their kids to every event under the sun and not taking the opportunity in that small window to shape some spiritual things into their lives. He said the statistics are staggering pertaining to spiritual life and the experience of children. Given the trends indicating that your spiritual condition by the age of 13 is a strong predictor of your spiritual profile as an adult, it seems clear that a deep and robust spiritual life demands intentional, strategic spiritual nurturing during those early childhood years. People are much more likely to accept Christ as Savior when they're young. Absorption of biblical information and principles typically peak during preteen years. You know what that means? It's a real small window. And of all the things that are constantly demanding their attention, I want to make sure they get this. Over the last 15 or 18 years, I've asked people when they come to membership class, why us? There's some 30, 40 good churches in town. You've chosen us. And every single time I ask that question, one of the top three answers is ministry to our children. Young people, young adults, uh, little ones, it's, it's the ministry to our children that attracted us here. Been in town almost 19 years, so I know a lot of people, and they know who I am, and they'll come up to me constantly and say, we don't go to your church, but my kids love TNL. We don't go to your church, but our kids love SNL. We don't go to your church, but our kids love your VBS, your children's program. I mean, you know what it's like when you open those doors to the children's wing over there, and these kids are running to this place, and they can't wait to get there? What a joy that is to know that that's been the attraction of what God has done here and what God has done with us and what God has done through us in our children's ministry and our youth ministry. It's just amazing when I see kids coming here and I hear parents say, well, I'll tell you the reason we chose this church was our kids chose it. And we followed them. That's all right. Because I grew up and you grew up, many of you, in a context where you had to drag your kids to church and now they're bringing us. But we only have them one to two hours a week. Max. You've got them way more than that. And it's an opportunity you have during that time to allow that to take place. We want to partner with you in raising godly children. We'll tell you next Sunday how some of those things are offered. But look at what Moses said in light of what Barna has just said a moment ago in, in, in that section of Scripture in Deuteronomy. Look, you've got to impress this stuff on your children. It's got to be consistent. It has to be intentional. When you're at home, when you're walking, seeing God's creation everywhere, at bedtime in the morning, 
you got to fill their emotional tanks. You have so many opportunities. Maybe it is driving to an event. Maybe it is coming here. Maybe it is going home from here. What did you learn today in Sunday school? What was the principle? What was the value in family experience today? What the skit was all about? And what are we going to talk about this month? You have so many opportunities to do that when you're driving, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Whatever works best for your children, whatever works best for you and your schedule. Basically, all he says is be really intentional about that. Whether it's in the morning, whether you're on a walk, whenever that may be, take the opportunity to instill in them what they've learned, what they're seeing, and what they see from you. Visually, let your children see your values. Let them see you pray. Let them hear you pray. Let them see you reading the Word of God. Ross Campbell, in books that he wrote on how to love your child and how to love your teenagers, combined with Gary Chapman, who wrote the five love languages for kids, and they talk about displaying unconditional love at home and and I thought, if there's any place that unconditional love ought to be shown, it's in the Christian home. A love that isn't guided by performance or behavior. A, a love for who they are, not always what they do. A love that they see and hear and touch. When a child feels love, they get a healthy, positive self-image. Now, we'll talk next Sunday morning about discipline as well. But there's that balance in what it needs to be. Sixth grade teacher in California for a creative writing assignment began with a statement, I wish. And she asked her kids to finish the sentence. She thought, of course, they'd say, I want a new bike. I want my own TV. Why can't I have my own cell phone? I wish I had one. All the things that you thought sixth graders would wish for. Much to her surprise, when she received the replies, 20 out of 30 talked about family and wishing things could be better. I wish my parents wouldn't fight. I wish my dad would come home. I wish my mom didn't have a boyfriend. I wish I could get all A's so my father would love me. You and I have a small window of time and as a grandparent as well we have a short window of time to have such a huge lifelong impact on the ones that God's entrusted into our care and we want to do it with everything we have so that we send them out in this incredibly confusing world that is so mixed up with its values that seems not to tell them any good solid things every once in a while what godly influence looks like what it's like to be in a home where they're loved and they see Jesus and they reflect that and, and they hear that and they know they're loved and cared for by Almighty God. When they see me make mistakes and they understand the, the need for discipline and how important that is, you and I have that short window. want to use it as wisely and as well as we know how. Let me pray. Father, oh, there's so much stuff. So many rich things in your word that gives us wisdom and guidance and direction that I'm just delighted you didn't leave us on our own. We do have an instruction manual, and I'm so thankful for your word. So in these next weeks, as we unpack it and we begin to flesh it out and then we demonstrate it in our home, I trust you'll give us wisdom and direction. Thank you again for time that we can spend together laughing, remembering, getting emotional, and enjoying this incredible gift called parenthood. Bless us in that journey, we pray in Jesus' name.